All right, let's give me a mic check, Thomas. Uh, yes. What would you have for breakfast this morning? I had scrambled egg, blueberries, and strawberries, and half a whole wheat English muffin. Is that typical? I, al- I alternate <laughs> between that and oatmeal. Is there a typical? <laughs> There's not a typical. My typical would be bacon, eggs, one piece of toast. When I travel, that's my typical breakfast. That's my go-to, but it's not wise. All right, let's go here. Pottercast with uh, Thomas Waite in three, two, one. Welcome to episode number five of the Pottercast. I'm Michael Potter. Thanks a bunch for joining me. On this episode, you get to hear from Thomas Waite, the president and chief executive officer, one of the founders of K16 Solutions. I'll let him explain what K16 Solutions is a little bit later on in the podcast. But great chance to sit down with Thomas, becoming a very good friend of mine. I met Thomas through my work with uh, the Phoenix Youth Symphony Orchestra. His son plays in the orchestra. I was walking through a concert one day, a rehearsal actually, and Thomas stopped me and said, hey, like what you're doing with the organization. If I can help in any way, I immediately thought this guy needs to be on our board. You know, he's got that entrepreneurial spirit. He's got that love for the arts, and he just cares about people and wants to help people. It took a couple of years because it wasn't the right time for him or our board, but we kept that contact going. And then Thomas joined our board last year, and he's been revolutionary on our board, bringing a lot of what uh, the philosophy and the values and the culture of K-16 Solutions is into our board and introducing us to some of uh, his uh, fellow mates over there at K-16 Solutions. But what really drew me to Thomas is just um, his spirit and his attitude. You know, he's got that entrepreneurial spirit, that competitive spirit. You'll hear that. But just a really good guy that wants to help and wants to make a difference and really cares about other people's success uh, more than he cares about his own success. And and that's what attracted me. You know, we have kind of a saying at the Phoenix Youth Symphony Orchestras where we want to build deep partnerships. And we only have two criteria, like-minded individuals that we want to hang out with. And Thomas fits that bill um, to the to the nines for that with me. So I hope you enjoy this Pottercast with Dr. Thomas Waite. Hey, Thomas, thanks a bunch for doing this. Um, I, I, I talked about it on the intro. We met each other through a board we're on with the Phoenix Youth Symphony Orchestras, but I've always been interested in your business and how you got there. First off, tell people what you're doing right now. How would you describe to someone who's never heard of K-16 Solutions what you guys are all about. Excellent. Thank you. Good to be here. I've enjoyed your work before, in particular, your interview, your podcast interview with uh, the president of GCU is wonderful. So pleasure to be here. And I know you like the entrepreneurial spirit. So K-16 Solutions is a educational technology SaaS company. So software as a service feeding into higher education right now, but also a little K-12 and also international. So we're two and a half years old creating software, educational technology software. <laughs> Getting a little buzz here in the conference room. <laughs> so not sure what that is, but we'll, we'll, we'll voyage into it here. How did you get involved in deciding, hey, look, I need to start a business doing mm-hmm. what K-16 Solutions is doing was was there a problem in the industry? Did you, did you think, okay, we can do this better? What got you into this? I wish I had a smooth, amazing answer to it. Outside of 19 years in higher education, I know of the systems that are broken. My team knows of the systems that are broken. And I'm talking about big systems that, that move data back and forth, student information systems, learning management systems. Now, I'm not saying those systems are broken. I'm saying education overall is challenged. And one problem we solved and are solving right now for is the movement of one LMS to another. Many mm. schools 
have their own learning management system. They're on one of the top competitors, and we know who they are, right? Blackboard, Instructure, D2L, Moodle, Sakai, uh, anyone I might be leaving out, sorry. <laughs> it, is a, it is a net neutral interview here. But if you are school A and want to go to a new learning management system, you're going to do it manually. You're going to do it 7 to 20 hours per course, one course at a time, or an army of people moving the courses. So a major university making a move from one system to another will take them 19 months to two years or three years. As astonishing as this is going to sound, we can do that same 19-month move in about six days with utter fidelity. Um, I can see the look on your eyes. That's so better. I, I know better. when you're hearing it, but it is, <laughs> it is unprecedented. It is yeah. revolutionary. Um, and if I tell you a story about how brilliant we were to make it happen, it would not be true. <laughs> we, we stumbled into it a little bit relative to migration of a learning management system. You know, it's interesting you say that you stumbled into it. Um, you hear that a lot with entrepreneurs. They start one way, and as they're going down that path, the actual aha moment kind of hits yeah. them. But, but it seems like the, the key is getting started. It's true. That's true. Get, I, I look back now, and I'm not claiming any success as, as I'm sitting here and or sitting here with my, my right hand uh, as she's listening to this, too. So no, no success exclamation here. But what I can tell you is there is a time where you have an idea. You think about it usually for years, I think. The, my first idea for this was in 2008 okay. when I was at another university. It hit me again in 2012. I was sharing with some colleagues. It hit me again heavily in 2015 to the extent that I was almost on me every day, seven days a week at night, I should say, because I had a regular job. <laughs> and I turned the corner into 2016 and thought, okay, I've got all these years under my belt helping these schools do what they need to do relative to education, technology, or academics. and. And this answer isn't laced with ego, but there was a part of me and the people I were working with that said, we can actually do better. I, and I'm not sure how that comes across or if that sounds like we were smarter. It's not about that. It's not even so much about being strategic. Mm -hmm. We just thought we could do better culturally as a company or as a business, right? How, how we want to operate. Right. Um, I'll tell you. And I'm talking your ear off here a little bit about it, but when I think back on how we started, I kind of scratch my head and go, how did we get from there to where I am <laughs> right now? But I had, a, I had such a disdain for the ego. I, I thought ego in business is the most destructive force I've come across in 19 years. Whether it's a young manager, an old manager, a young or old executive, um, throw in all the diversity you want there, none of that matters. Just having that title, being in that position, I kept finding year in and year out how destructive the ego was. And I never understood it. I, it's not appealing. I don't want to be around it. <laughs> right. And, and so it was so unappealing that I started to really study, glom on to humility. And there's something appealing about that. And funny enough, I look back now, my board has a string of humility. This team has a string of humility. Um, I care. I, yeah. I love my team. Now, a lot of founders, CEOs, presidents might say that. Um, 
it's kind of always been in my nature since I was little. I'm, I'm not shy about saying I love something or I love someone. Um, and I think that kind of caring or empathy or leadership is missing today. So that was part of it too. So it wasn't so much education technology. Well, it was, and it wasn't so much how do we help education. It was how do we do all those things, but within the confines of a company that will allow everyone to just go freak level and excel with no limits. So when you when you told told people that, hey, this is what <laughs> I'm gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> I have this probably a great job in in so, a very safe industry, right? I mean, once you yeah. get in there, you're you're in there. Um, what did people say when you said, hey, I th- had this idea, and we're not only gonna build this technologically, we're gonna build it culturally. Well, that's a great question. Um, I always like your questions. You're fast on your feet that way. So I and and no, I, I don't have these questions. We didn't review any questions. So no, I didn't give you anything. My answer to that is, I I'm one of the youngest of seven children, and raised by uh, a strong mother, um, subsequently gone, and a, a wonderful father, who was gone also, who was a quiet, tall, imposing combat marine, but also a doctor, a scientist, a scholar, and a quiet person, a gentle giant, loved everyone, loved everything, wanted to celebrate everything. And as my wife points out, I'm, I've got a lot of that in me. Uh, funny to think about my wife and my dad because the, the way they loved each other. So I share that backdrop with you because it, when it came to having a harebrained idea, hmm. my wife is, I, I don't want to say the opposite, but she's the oldest of six. She, she won't like it when she hears this, but <laughs> I've told her to her before anyway. She was probably like 31 years old when she was 12. <laughs> she was working and diligent and detailed and a strong person. Um, and she's from a wonderful family. And she just happened to have that kind of oldest child, right? The oldest child personality mm-hmm. of sorts kind of comes through. And so I, I, I was very careful. Hey, Rachel, I've got this idea to start a company. I never, she knew I wanted to, but I didn't come out and say that. I tried a couple times over the years, and I knew with her when the time was right or wasn't going to be right. And even my teammates knew well, what would Rachel say? Have you told your wife? Well, no. I'm not going to do that yet. So there, it's a long-winded answer, but there was a time to come to her after she had seen what my team and I built year after year at other companies for me to go to her and say, I think we can do this better. What's your view? Mm-hmm. And she knew I was a good business manager. She knew that I would lead people from behind, from serving up from, I, I hate servant leadership, it's too overused, but um, I, don't know, I don't know how to put it. I, I lead because I'll be the first one on the field. I lead because I'll run in the burning building. I lead because I, in many ways, care about them or their mm-hmm. well-being more than my own. I care about their paycheck more. All this probably sounds a little altruistic, right? but now in looking back, maybe it was the right formula to say, I think I should start this and are you in and at one point January 2016 December 2015 I went to her and said 
I think we need to do this. And she said, I think you do also. And it's going to take everything we have. Um, she rebooted her career for that. She took a pause in a wonderful career she had, uh, terminally degreed, Univers University of Florida. She took a pause, rebooted her career so we could pull this off. So I, I'm hitting you with a lot, but it was timing because you know, mm -hmm. right? And certain other people in this room know when you tell your spouse, hey, I've got an idea. Well, no thanks. Or yeah, <laughs> go clean the garage. Or wait a minute, maybe you're onto something. So right. maybe it was timing. And nothing's changed in me in, in the 20 years I kind of in our, of our marriage, wonderful marriage. I knew something like this was going to happen. I didn't know what or when. So you knew at some point you were going to get, it was going to be too much of a call. You were going to have to go start and do your own thing. I did. I did. And I think you see that in other entrepreneurs too, right? So yeah, I did. Some of them, it happens like immediately. They can never work for anybody else. And other people, it's it's over the course of time. Well, you and know, it's just, it, comes, it seems like it comes at the right time. It's funny you say that because I was, I was always a good employee. I was not a problem. I didn't think, oh, I can do this better than my boss. Or I never disliked the people I was working for. Um, I liked them. I was good for them. There were times when I was really, you know, the up and comer and things were good. There were times when I wasn't. Um, so it wasn't so much about me looking at anyone I was working for or with and saying I can do it better. I will admit there was a little part of me that said I can create a better culture. I can mm -hmm. create a better environment for people to be whoever they want to be. Yeah. And I don't want to change them and I don't want to judge them. So that was part of it. How important was the team? You, you got your first teammate, your recruit, your wife, <laughs> which that was probably the most important. I'll take out the probably. That was the most important. But, but then as you start kind of sharing this with, with folks, were there a few key people you're like, okay, I need that person to be a part of this to get it going? Or did you say, hey, we're going for it, and let's just see who comes aboard? Good question. Rachel actually, so my wife came in about third or fourth, maybe fifth in the process. Sorry, Rachel, no offense, but the first one was my right hand of 19 years, Mary, who is currently my COO and a heat-seeking missile of getting anything done, of creating something out of thin air, of putting something down on paper that says step one, step two, step three, here's how we achieve it. I went to her first. Actually, sorry, I went to Mary second. I went to Jordan first, who is my CTO. The key, these two are key founders. We're the three founders of K16, and they a lot of Jordan's vision, his talent, of course. Again, I'm the guy that'll run in the building, but Jordan's the guy who will rebuild the building. Um, and Mary's the <laughs> one sure who will draw the again. plan, yeah. <laughs> so, so I went to, actually my first talk was with Jordan, second talk was with Mary, and they were, they were a pretty quick yes, and I wasn't selling them. It was more of a conversation of frustration. And they agreed on the boss thing. They agreed on the culture thing. The talent was there. Or we wouldn't be having the talk, right? It's right. not like, hey, we can build a better toaster. Or we can build better education software. The talent was there. Um, it was we can create a platform or an environment where we can excel. So, so when you do that, I mean, I, my first thought goes to, well, we got to get some money, right? You, you can't. You got good <laughs> jobs, and the, oh, better, money. the yes. longer you've been at your job, the more money that you yeah. need to leave the That's job. True. That's <laughs> true. It's kind of like those golden handcuffs. Everybody's got different levels of golden yeah. handcuffs. But how did how did that come about? I mean, were were the investors like, yeah, this is a great idea? Were they like, dude, everybody else is doing the same thing? What are you going to do that's different? It's it's a good question. 
this is good. You know your entrepreneurial startup stuff. So the money, we were, you know, we were in good shape relative to where we w were in our careers. So it's not like we could, you know, we're not 20 something and we weren't leaving a job where we could replace it with anything when you hear about all the Palo Alto startups. Right. Or even, yes, sorry to say the name, Elon Musk, you know, <laughs> eating pizza out of the office, uh, showering in the office next door because he was in his 20s. It was easy for him to do. Right. Not so much when you have wife and children, and which we all had because we're a little older than your average 20-something startup. So very astute question, Michael, and we did have to think of that. But as Rachel and others that know me would say, I am a dreamer, so uh, we'll get the money. Um, so I got started using every dime Rachel and I had uh, with her blessing, putting our house at risk, cars, kids' well-being, kids' future, kids' food, kids' clothing. Um, it's, a, it's a horror story, but a magical story. Horror story because it was stressful on me and it was stressful. The kids knew it. All my family knew it. But no, I started not thinking about the money. I started because I knew we could do it. And the money came second or third or fourth. Were those people, the, those first three people, Mary and Jordan, were they thinking about the money? Or did they <laughs> jump on the dream too? Were they, were they, they, they were thinking more. That's a good recruiting job. That is, <laughs> that's a good, that's good, that's good questions on your part. They were thinking, they were thinking a little bit more about the money than I was yeah. to the extent that I would just not be stopped relative to, as Rachel said, uh, this is going to be a horrible reference. I don't know a better one to say. She, uh, if you're familiar with Star Trek or, yeah. Kli or Klingons, mm -hmm. I would be a Klingon. <laughs> everything is a battle. Everything is honor. Let's go outside. Let's yeah. grab the sword. Let's get off our horses, and we're going to fight it out. That's, that's an environment that is more natural to me than the nuance of a boardroom of playing chess of navigating those things so i i don't represent the brains of the operation i represent the courage and the and the relentlessness of the operation so so no it was dream first it was dream first get started and figure it out as we go yeah we were working on the plan we were doing calculations we were and still are to this day lucky enough to find the chief financial officer Funny enough, I, almost a funny story, maybe not so much for here and now. I was introduced to Brian, our chief financial officer, and he's also uh, a technology whiz. I was introduced to him after my mother passed and after his mother passed. Mm -hmm. And we were both, I, I, it's funny, when I look back on that breakfast, we're both sitting there, we look like two 12-year-old boys who just lost their mother. Yeah. And I kind of looking back, laughing now at that breakfast meeting and still the person who introduced us. And we just started talking and I had no business sitting at the table with this guy because I didn't have the money. I had the plan. Mm -hmm. I had the team and the team had the talent, but we didn't have what he would bring. And he was caught into the dream. He bought into the dream. The dream is we can create better education technology we can serve the students and staff better. This isn't a sales pitch for K-16. This is a, we keep the student at the center of our decisions. And I'm not sure enough companies do that. I, actually, I guarantee they don't. We do. 
we did. Faculty, staff, people doing the work. We were them, we were they, so we put them first. And, the com and a lot of companies do not do that. I don't care what they say, they don't. And he bought in, so I had Mary, the COO. We didn't have titles at the time, we didn't care. Brian didn't care, even though he was chief financial officer, right? Bay Area sat at the table with Apple, Ernst & Young, McKesson, the guy's been there, done that. But he bought into the dream, and I think he bought into the culture also, being turned off by the ego, and can we, can we have an environment like in this boardroom now where we can create something special and different and be ourselves? Yeah, I've, I've met, I met Mary, been in meetings with Mary. Yeah. She knows what she's doing, but yeah. a great, great person. Yeah. You know, for, yeah, that really comes through, yep. just a great person. I uh, met Brian, had lunch with him a couple That's right. times. That's Great right. person, yes. That's right. smart guy, but 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 no ego, but just knows what he's about yeah. and, and gracious with his time. Yeah. But okay, so we got to talk about the person in K-16. Anna, she's sitting in the room with us. Yes. When did she come aboard? Anna Nolan is unbelievable. Like, you talk about organization, thought process, good per how, how did you How did you get her? So it's another lucky star. She will be she will be the chapter in the book if we pull all this off. Um, there's a there's they're both real stories. Some of some of your listening viewers won't like the one story, which is um, I I've known her for years, but haven't known her. Um, of all the people in her family, the people that I know in her circles, I think it's fair to say I'd probably say. I don't know, 27 words to her in a year you know, over holidays or overseeing her, over crossing paths. Um, I knew who she was, respected her, liked her, all that, but it, I, you know, it's really fair to say we didn't know each other. And when we put this out, who's going to help me, who's going to come in, actually we had team put aside payroll dollars to bring her in to help me. So talk about the team, talk about the culture. Yeah. We have people waiting for years to come on board and get paid. They were working. They are working seven days a week. But they said, you need, you need the help. That's more important. And I actually said, not, not an option. Sorry, Anna, she might be hearing that part. For some, <laughs> I actually said, not an option. I, I can't. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so I said, we, we just can't. Every dollar matters. And, and they said, no, it's... It, it's done. You need the help to keep this going because what's happening is working. I kind of uh, broached the subject in like December of whatever the year it was, 2018, 2017 or something. I didn't even know the year. She didn't start till around May 6th. So December, January, February, March, April. She started in May. Um, she interviewed with people. Um, there were about 30 different people we spoke with that came forward from different locations, different ages, different groups. And the chair of my board, Annette, anchor investor, unbelievable lady, unbelievable individual leader, CEO, she, um, she said, your wife needs to interview this person. Um, and they kept using the word intimacy. It's gonna be a very intimate position. Um, because they're going to manage you, your schedule, get to know you, and they're going to know your weaknesses more than anyone else, and that's hard for a CEO or president, blah, blah, blah. So she interviewed with my wife, and I was still, I was still unsure to the extent that I was going through interviews, and there was a stack of people. There were, there were some young men who were amazing. 
there were some older women who were amazing. There were young women who were amazing, you know, to come in and take this position. Um, and after my wife did the interview, she said, it's there, education, the knowledge. Um, and I didn't understand why at the time, but my wife actually said, you, you two are a match made in heaven, which is not a normal yeah. thing for a wife to say about <laughs> an executive yeah. manager admin who's going to come in and run your life. But uh, my wife is a, is a stolid critic and, a, and black and white when it comes to what's good, what's bad, what's right and wrong. And she said, uh, you guys are it. So we had the talk. Um, one thing led to another, and I will just fast forward two years to say uh, one of the most compliments I get or K-16 gets is about Anna. I just heard it three times in the past two weeks from three different executives. Where do you find her? How do I find an Anna? Wow, she's professional. She's amazing. So sorry with you in the room. I'd be saying this if you weren't in the room. I know she hates it. but uh, Oh, she hates it? That's good. I'm glad she doesn't like it. But it there's then. a secret, right? There's a secret to the yeah. success. Rachel and Anna, Mary know my weaknesses, uh, but also know when to stand me up and know that I kill myself in this position and need to yeah. stay alive. Yeah, no, I, I, I would concur. Anna's fantastic. We've been working with her so much so that when we talk about, oh, we need somebody to do administration, executive assistant in our, they in our have small to be like organization, Anna. we say someone like Anna, and yeah. now I've turned into, how do we hire Anna to do that too? Does she have any time? No, she doesn't. <laughs> So we're going to try to poach a little bit of her time. Right. Yeah, she's fantastic. Well, I want to go back. Um, you, you talked about your mom and your dad a little bit, um, and, and you being a dreamer, being that Klingon kind of mentality, hey, let's go to battle. Let's, yeah. It's about honor. How did that develop? And I know you were, I mean, a great tennis player too. How much does that play into kind of that character that you are, that characteristics that you yeah. are today? Competitive, quietly, quietly competitive. I don't let that side out. The last time it maybe did come out when I was trying to make a run at professional tennis. Um, I, it, sounds, it sounds dumb when people in this chair, in this position, say how competitive they are, and I get it. I understand it. I am, I am quietly, internally, uh, fiercely competitive. And when you compete to get paid, or you have to do something to perform physical activity or sport to get a paycheck, I think then you understand competition a little more than, than some people. Yeah. So I think that was part of it. Plus, being the youngest, um, some successful brothers and sisters. My dad was, a, was an amazing person. You know, you can't, you can't impress someone who was in hand-to-hand -hand combat in a war, right? You can't impress that person. You're not going to. Yeah. But I would try at times, not over the top, not, not too much like a Jack Russell Terrier, but, <laughs> um, but I was always focused on, I was an obsessive reader, still am, to an obnoxious degree, and I love studying the icons from, from prophets to saints to great novelists to great leaders. It's, I spend my time in histories and biographies, so not so much about competition, but about mm -hmm. What do we do to make the world a better place? I can't, I'm, I'm not gonna be satisfied with a billion dollar company. I'll be satisfied if a thousand families benefit from a billion dollar company. I'll be satisfied if someone like Anna and her family have life-changing experiences because of a company we're building. 
um, I'll be satisfied if students and staff somewhere. And this, I know this sounds altruistic. I know it yeah. sounds, oh, here you are preaching the Kool-Aid, you're sitting in this chair as president and CEO. No, that's not the case. I, I will be satisfied when something significant is created like that. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe the irony is you could call that ego, but at the end of the day, I can also just take my book, walk away, and just go sit somewhere and read. So I'm an I'm a odd balance sometimes that's as my wife says that's the culture thing though right i mean yeah. i mean it's yeah it can sound altruistic and some people say it and don't really mean it but obviously you mean it and it attracts people i mean we with this little you know youth orchestra thing we're doing we talk about some of the similar things the dreams changing the way the arts are are done to impact people's lives and businessmen businesswomen people who have not to, could care less about yeah. the arts like well that's exciting i want to be a part yeah. of that you know and that's kind of what you're talking about yeah. and so people come and go yeah, it'd be great to have a billion-dollar company make a ton of money and have, you know, life-changing. Doing the right you know, thing. Generational-changing right. wealth. Yeah. That'd be fantastic, but we'd also like to, to do something else with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's part, maybe that's part of that honor or battle thing or, or... Make the world a better place. Yeah, it's making the world a better place. Yeah, I don't In know a, I don't way, know a good right? way to say it without yeah. sounding like a... <laughs> without sounding like I'm probably sounding. But. Well, hey, you can sound that way to me. I love entrepreneurs. I love guys who... I mean, I'm... I'm I'm glad Jeff Bezos made a ton of money because what he's yeah. done to make people's lives better special. is great. Whether you, you know, could care less about his politics, anything, what he's right. doing, Elon Musk, what he's doing, you know, and maybe it was ego to say, I can do this better. What, I don't care. It's making the world a better place. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. kind of how I look at it. I agree. And education is noble. Yeah. Um, and that's what I chose. Or sometimes it, sometimes the path chooses you, actually. And... I've talked to Rachel before about my odd path. Should it have been in this career or that career, or this sector or that sector? She would always say it doesn't matter. You, she will say this, so pardon me for saying it, people love you or they gravitate to you because they know you care, and I do. So sometimes the path chooses you. I don't know if this one chose me because I had to go to hell and back to bring it to life mm -hmm. with the team that I have, but... Um, it's working, and to sit here with you and talk about it is, is a good sign. So, so how, how far did you get back in the day on that, that goal to be make your living as a professional tennis player? What, what was your level? Where were you at? I came to it late. If I, I, wish, I, I wish I had the time machine to pick up the racket earlier in high school. I was focused on football and some other things I wasn't great at because we were supposed to be doing that in Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Especially in Tom Osborne's backyard. <laughs> you better play football. I liked it. I loved yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I could hit like a freight train, but I didn't care outside of that. Um, it just, it, you know, it, it wasn't there. My brother was a great football player. The school I went to produced wonderful players. Tom Osborne was right there. So it was Lincoln, Nebraska. It was a big deal. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't for me, and I wish I would have picked up a racket sooner because there's just something about I, I'm really comfortable being alone. And tennis, you can be alone. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not allowed life coaching. And so autonomy or being alone, and sometimes I think I've made my wife laugh at that before. She's just like, you can just, you just can be alone. It's funny. Right, some people are uncomfortable, but I'm I'm never uncomfortable being alone. I'd prefer to have a book, but never uncomfortable just being alone or thinking. And tennis suited that. When I picked up a racket, 
late in high school, it just worked. Mm-hmm. And I cranked it after that for a couple of years full time. And it worked. What happened right after high school is I went to a lesson. I thought I should go to a lesson. So I go to a lesson in the morning. My mom and dad dropped me off. I go to this lesson in the morning. That first lesson they took me, they took me out of that class and put me in another one. They took me out of that one, put me in another one. I went to six different classes that day until at the end of the day when mom and dad picked me up, I was playing with the pro and I was hitting back and forth and I had no formal training or anything else. Wow. And I told them and they're just kind of like, uh, whatever, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so I went back the next week and the next week and the next day and one thing led to another and, you know, I had a, I could crack a 90 mile an hour forehand, a 125 mile an hour serve and I loved it. Um, but coming to the game too late yeah. made me play hard made me shred the body so to try to keep up with guys and the ladies who had the pedigree in the background which I didn't have I had good eye hand you know I had mm-hmm. speed yeah and I had a tennis build um, but to keep up with people you know I was playing some Pac-12 top players cover of Sports Illustrated players UCLA USC some ASU and I came from nowhere and from nothing to swing the racket. Um, but I was there, and I had some great coaching. And I was going to take a shot and make a run. And as hard as I was playing to keep up, you know, they could play chess. I was trying to crack 90-mile-an-hour forehands to stay in the game. Yeah. They were smarter. They had a higher tennis IQ, but I would blast a 125-mile-an-hour serve. And I just shredded the body, and it was over before I knew it. And, but I did, have, I did have two coaches, two wonderful people. Uh, one had an association with uh, Tracy Austin and a few others. Kind of put his arm around me one day and say, kind of remind me of Field, and, Field of Dreams uh-huh. yeah. to the extent where the rookie came in. He's like, I just wanted to stare down a major league pitcher. Yeah. And I was telling him one day, I just wanted to, you know, hit – hit any of the majors you know the grass clay hardcore whatever it'd be it was just a dream that came late but it was all there all the ingredients were there and he put his arm around me one afternoon after I had a broken an ankle getting ready for a, a tournament and I you know I had Wilson helping me and everything was given to me and things were okay and I was getting paid to be a teaching pro and do things like that to make a living uh, but it was over as the body gave out, and he put his arm around me, and he just said, you know, a couple of years earlier in high school for you, and you would be top 100 and play in the U.S. Open. Hmm. So just too little, too late, one of those yeah. things, but uh, the love is there. But that, So maybe having that cut short um, did not quench the, that competitive fire. And so I, I feel no different than a 12-year-old or a 21-year-old with ambition or fire. Um, yeah. Another thing my wife's kind of laughed at me about over the years is I'm, I'm aging with a greater sense of urgency or, or ambition to get things done instead of sitting back. Do you think it's urgency or ambition or? I don't like the word ambition, so maybe. maybe why, it's why don't a, maybe, you like that word? I don't know. I think it, go, I think it goes a little bit along with, with the ego. ego. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a sense of urgency. Selfish. Uh, time. Yeah. yeah. And I hate selfishness, yeah. right? I can't stand it. 
Um, I think it's urgency. Um, I'm very aware of time. Yeah. I am a I am a student of existentialism, and I'm very conscious of meaning and time. And I study meaning and time, and I it's just going too fast. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, uh, I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but Jesse Itzler, the guy that he he did the living with the monks, and he mm-hmm. lived with David Goggins, things. Yeah. That's his his big takeaway from all of that is just time. Like you only have yeah. a certain amount of time left if you live to a certain thing. So yeah. maximize your time. It sounds yeah. like you're kind of thinking that way too in some ways. Well, like K sixteen, you know, came came to me late. Uh, it would have been nice if it had hit earlier. But then every time I say that, I get kicked in the shins by my wife who says everything you did was to get you ready for this moment. Right. You, you couldn't have led people or brought people together or raised the money you raised or talk with these unbelievably successful investors if I hadn't been kicked around and had such a such a family circus type Billy running through the yard house <laughs> ice cream shop back to the backyard dotted line path. Right. right. So and I, I agree with her but it doesn't stop my sense of urgency. Any advice you'd give to folks out there listening to this if they're, <laughs> if they're uh, kind of, I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they're thinking entrepreneurially. Maybe they're in a business that like you, or you, you liked who you worked with, you liked what you did. And, I did, yeah, and, and, you, and it was working. Yeah, it was working fine. Yeah. Any advice to folks who might be doing that but thinking, oh, maybe there is something else out there? You know, I've, I, always thought, I always thought big, mm-hmm. um, but it never manifested anything. Um, I was always around some good, talented people. I think about my high school classmates and college, and I always thought big. I knew I was thinking bigger than they were, mm-hmm. but it wasn't manifesting. It wasn't translating. And then there's a moment of decision and making it happen and belief and not quitting. I hate these. I hate the cliche of just don't <laughs> give up, but the the reason why K-16 is now here and thriving and going to thrive a lot more is is not giving up. So I know people hear that. I know how it sounds because I used to roll my eyes at it, but it's true. And by the way, if you think you can't raise millions of dollars and start a, a million-dollar company that has billion-dollar potential, you're wrong. You can't um, because... It's, it's possible. I think it's a decision. So everything I read, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Bezos, Henry Ford, Mr. Post, Mr. Kellogg, all these people, all these biographies that I read, there was a decision point. They weren't more talented than anyone else. They did make a decision. I know where my talent lies, and I made a decision. And now it can't, now it's bigger than me, and it can't be stopped. So there is a decision point. It can be done yeah no i think that's great i think that's that that's very uh very intuitive too to to see that um last question because we've been going for over 30 minutes here this is kind of more for anna oh, uh, it's for you to answer but i'm going to ask good this question oh, she likes it when i speak for her it's better be, that no, way no, you're not gonna speak for her. i want to hear your answer but she's going to love this question it's better if i answer yeah. for her why do you love elon musk so much <laughs> <laughs> i knew you'd like that oh anna. boy <laughs> you don't have 20 minutes so. no I just, all right <laughs> Because he had to, he he has the courage to think big. He would run into the burning building, and he was selfless about it. And courage, I think courage is lost today. We live in a odd politically correct 
cancel culture. I even hate that. Courage. These guys had courage. Steve Jobs had courage. And, but they had heart also. And they had the right idea, the right team. Um, I think, it's as, I think it's as simple as that. Courage. Yeah, that's great. Well, you let me drive his car, your car, and now yeah. now it's trouble because now I have to have yes, one. Yes, you do. So my wife's mad at you. You do. Just FYI. So Anna, Anna needs the company to become big enough to where that can be her Christmas bonus. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. No, it's yeah. awesome. Hey, Thomas, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. And Thank appreciate you. everything you do um, for me and for PYSO as well because that's how we met. But just just what you guys are doing. I mean, my wife's involved in education. Of course, I do some things at GC. I'm taking some classes over there, so I just kind of see that. And it's just really cool what you guys are doing here at K-16. So thanks for the time. Thank you. It was fun to have this talk when it's just not all business. So good questions. Thank you, Michael.